Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And verse 14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 18 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. And verse 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so there, there's a, a view here of the reconciliation. He says here that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. Now, the reason that God is not imputing the world's trespasses unto them is because they were imputed to Christ. Right? And so, so the trespasses of the world were imputed to Christ. However, uh, there are people who will take that and they will say, for instance, that, um, that that forgiveness, they'll say that everybody is already forgiven. Saved and unsaved alike are already forgiven. That forgiveness isn't even an issue because Christ paid for those sins. And in a way, it can be sort of a, a tight theological package, you know, kind of like Calvinism is. Um, because what what they're doing is they're taking this metaphor that's often used in Scripture of a payment being made, right? And, and certainly that kind of wording is used. Uh, the word redemption itself means to, to make a payment or it has a, the idea of, of purchasing something. Uh, but you often have this, this idea of a payment being made. And they're saying, if Christ made the payment, then my, my sin must not be an issue at all. And so... They wind up saying, they'll say that, that, uh, one of the catchphrases that's used is they'll say it's not a sin issue, it's a son issue. Or, uh, they'll say that, uh, uh, it's not someone's sin that sends them to hell, it's their unbelief. Now there's some truth in that, right? There's some truth in that, not, not because sin isn't an issue, right? The reason somebody's lost in the first place is because they're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. 
That's why somebody's lost in the first place. That's why they need to be saved. And belief is the means by which you're saved. So the only thing certainly that is preventing somebody from having eternal life is not their sin. Their sin is not an issue in the sense that their sin has been paid for, in the sense that uh, that sin has been dealt with and all you have to do is believe the Gospel to be saved. But that doesn't mean that that person who hasn't believed the Gospel is already forgiven. And this reconciliation here, you know, there's there's different reconciliations that are talked about um, and even different reconciliations that are accomplished by the cross. Here he says that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. Now, the just just in understanding the term reconciliation, the, the need for reconciliation comes about because there's some kind of enmity. There's some kind of a, a breakdown in the relationship between the two parties that requires reconciliation. Okay, In the case of the world, um, the world, almost right from the very beginning, uh, rebelled against God. Adam sinned against God. And his his descendants were all born in a state of sin. They were born in rebellion. They it says even if they didn't sin after the similitude of of Adam's transgression, uh, they they still died, right? Um, and that's that's kind of like I mean you don't you don't have to be this kind of enmity doesn't always have to be an individual person to person. Enmity. I mean, you you think about uh, when nations go to war. You know that doesn't necessarily mean one individual in this nation hates one individual in that nation, but they're enemies because of the group that they're a part of, right? And and the world and just the natural state of man is to be at enmity with God because of that that state of sin. And and God's when man sinned, I mean God's. God's uh, justice, His holiness, required that He be at enmity with man. Uh, it's just that that's who God is. That's you know He's holy and just and righteous. And the reconciliation that's talked about here, when Jesus Christ paid for the sins of the world, now God could say to man in general, to the whole world, say. Look, the, the thing that offended my justice, it's not in the way anymore. It doesn't stand in the way anymore. Right? It's taken out of the way. It, it's been paid for. It's been dealt with. And so, now you can be reconciled to me. So, it says here that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. But then notice at the, the end of verse 20, or if we just read all of verse 20, it says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And, and you see, reconciliation is not a one-way thing. You have two parties that are at enmity with one another. God has reconciled the world unto Himself, and yet, is the world reconciled? If if they were all automatically reconciled, Paul wouldn't have to say, be reconciled to God. Right? God, for his part, I mean, you think about it, if uh, 
you know, two people have, have been friends with one another and, and somebody offends the other one and, and now they're fighting, okay? And one of those, one of those individuals decides, hey, this is stupid, I don't want to fight anymore, let's, let's, uh, be friends again. That reconciliation isn't really complete until the other guy says, okay, let's, <laughs> let's be friends again. Right? He can, he can reconcile, he can reconcile the other one to himself in the sense that he's, whatever, I'll overlook the offense or, you know, he can do that, but the other person has to be reconciled to him for that relationship to resume. And, and that's the idea here, and that's why the, the, the Lord has, has reconciled the world unto himself, but, Paul stands there as the ambassador and he says all of us as believers are ambassadors and he says we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. And you see that's the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, the, the ministry of reconciliation is to, to go out to people and say that God doesn't, God isn't, isn't holding your sin against you in the sense that it's been paid for by Christ. You can, you can, uh, be reconciled to God through what Christ accomplished. Okay? It's not to go out and say, your sin isn't an issue in any sense. And it's not to, to, to go out and say, you don't even need to be forgiven. That's already taken, taken care of. Uh, it's, you do need to be forgiven. And the forgiveness is available. And it's available through Christ. And, and you just need to believe the Gospel. So, where this position winds up is... You know, in, in saying that because, because, uh, God has reconciled the world unto himself and because God's not imputing their trespasses unto them, um, you know, they conclude that everybody is already forgiven, whether they're saved or unsaved, whether they believe or don't believe. What that means is that if you follow that, that thinking to its conclusion, that the vast majority of forgiven people are going to end up where? In the lake of fire, right? Because they don't believe that all those people are saved. They're somehow forgiven but not saved. And these people who all their sins have been forgiven, according to this view, are going to wind up in the lake of fire. Uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Go, go to Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, what you see there is that there are two issues at that judgment. Okay? And you see, he says that the, the dead are standing there before the throne... And it says, and the books were opened, verse 12, and the books were opened, and another book was opened. Okay, so as you picture this, you have the books 
were opened. Doesn't tell you how many books, but the books. And another book. Right? And, and that distinction is made for a reason. Uh, that other book, it says, is the book of life. Now, what it says is that the dead were judged out of those things which were written, not in the book of life, first of all, but in the books according to their works. So what are those books? It's the, the record of their works. Okay? Here at the, at the great white throne, the Lord has the record of their works and they're judged by those works. It says it again in verse 13, the end of the verse, they were judged every man according to their works. Then verse 15, so after that, the evidence, you understand that this, what's going on here at, at this uh, judgment, the evidence that's presented here is not for God's benefit. It's for man's benefit. Right? That, that individual that's standing there before the throne is going to understand why what's about to happen to him is happening. Right. Yep. Yep. And so, he's judged out of the, the books by his works. And then verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. Now, ultimately, what determines where they spend eternity is not what's written in the books. It's what's written or not written in the book of life. And so, they're judged out of the books. That shows their just condemnation. And then, he shows them the book of life. That record, I mean, there's the record of the opportunity that they had to, since Christ died for all, that they could live Right? There's the opportunity that they had to avail themselves of the finished work of Christ and reveal and receive eternal life. And he turns to the page where their name should be. I don't know if they're in alphabetical order or what, but uh, he turns the name where they should be and he shows them the book and their name isn't there. Again, it's not for the benefit of God. He knows them that are his, but he shows them your name isn't there. And all those whose names are, are, are not written in the book are cast into the lake of fire. Now this great white throne that's described here, there are no saved people there at the great white throne. Uh, there's, there's nobody there at the great white throne whose name is going to be found written in the book. Uh, but they're shown, they're, they have, they're, they have the evidence for why they're going to be there in the lake of fire. So to say that, that those sins are never an issue, the, 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 the things that are written in the books are there to show them why they deserve to go there. What's not written in the other book is what shows them they didn't, they didn't take advantage of the opportunity they had. You know, the most, the most extensive presentation of the gospel that you have in scripture, you find in the first five chapters of the book of Romans. And out of those first five chapters, the, the first I mean, up to halfway through chapter 3. I mean, you've got some greetings in the beginning of chapter 1. And then the rest of chapter 1, chapter 2, and halfway through chapter 3 are all doing exactly that. Saying, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're a sinner, you're lost, um, you have you have no way to, to 
redeem yourself. There's a passage that legalists will use and they'll say, hey, that's even the Apostle Paul, right? And he says that, that uh, verse 6 says, who will render to every man according to his works, uh, to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. So according to those verses, how do you get eternal life? Um, you do it by patient continuance and well-doing, right? You remember when the, the rich young ruler comes to Christ and uh, now, now there's a passage from the Gospels that people completely misuse because because what what does Christ tell them? Okay, so Mark 10, starting verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good Master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, pay attention to the question. He doesn't say... How can I be saved from my sin? <laughs> he doesn't say that. What does he say? What good thing can I do to inherit eternal life? Or what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Okay, because Christ is going to answer his question, you know, exactly the question that he asks. Um, but, but first of all, Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now, the legalist reads that passage and they say, oh, see, he wants to know I have eternal life. Jesus tells him, keep all the commandments, right? And I, he obviously hadn't kept that commandment, and so he, he goes away sad. But they miss the point. Christ isn't telling him how to be saved. Christ is telling him how to earn eternal life. And if you were going to earn eternal life, you would keep the commandments and the guy doesn't get saved there. What, what does he do? He goes away sad because he knows he can't do it. Because Christ, Christ does what you and I can't do when dealing with an individual. He knows the area of that guy's life where that guy hasn't kept the commandment, right? I mean, we, sometimes when you're dealing with somebody, you might know that about them. But in this case, Christ knows where, where his weak spot is. Right? And the guy doesn't get saved. He goes away sad because he knows he can't do it. And that's what Christ's point is. You can't do it. Right? It, it, the whole point of, of Christ's answer and of the conversation is to show the man his insufficiency. But is it true? Is it true that if you patiently continued in well-doing, which means you continue to do it all the time, if you patiently continued in well-doing, would God give you eternal life? Sure. Sure. You would earn eternal life. But the question they don't ask is, is there anybody like that? You keep reading on to chapter 3, and what do you find? Go to chapter 3. Verse 10 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. 
You ever hear somebody say, or or even hear yourself say? I sometimes I I've, I've said this. You say so and so. Now he's not saved, but he's a very good person. No, he's not. No, he's not. There there's no such thing according to verse twelve. There's no good. For, there's none that doeth good. Or you hear somebody say, uh, you know, so and so is is seeking truth or is seeking God. Not according to verse 11, they're not. There's none that seeketh after God. Now certainly in Hebrews it says that he that cometh to God must believe that he is and is and, uh, he's a rewarder of him diligently seek him. Okay? I think it's talking about a saved person there. But um, here it says there's none, there's none that seeketh after God. People are seeking something. They're seeking, you know, some kind of, of religious fulfillment or they're, they're seeking something. Um, they're not, they're not seeking God, certainly not seeking Him as He is, but we can thank God that He's seeking us. You know, people a lot of times use verse 10, which says there's none righteous, and we can kind of say, okay, yeah, there's none righteous. But then they leave out the rest. They're not seeking after God. People, people aren't doing good. They're not good. Um, interesting thing about, you know, these are quotes, a lot of them from the Psalms and from Isaiah. There's several different verses that are quoted here in this passage in chapter 3. And um, it's an interesting study to go and look at the original verses because in the original, in the original verses back in the Old Testament, it's, it's contrasting, uh, the, it's contrasting believing Israel with everybody else, you know, but but it's it's like you know you have the the people of God and then you have everybody else and it's saying that everybody else there's none that, that seeketh after God none that understandeth uh, and and a lot of them it's making like a direct a direct comparison of Israel and the Gentiles and. Here Paul is, part of his point here is a dispensational point that with the setting aside of Israel, that applies to everybody without distinction. So he doesn't make this about Israel and the Gentiles. He just says, he just makes it a blanket statement for everybody. There's none righteous, no, not one. And then at the middle of chapter three is where then he begins to say, okay, now, like you say, now that I've got you lost, <laughs> now, yeah, now here's here's how to be saved. So and and that's one of the I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a side effect or a direct effect of this kind of view of the reconciliation is that that often is not done. Um, there's there's no emphasis on showing somebody their lost condition. See, and that's part of that job of being the the ambassador uh, and being that minister of reconciliation is. This reconciliation has been made and, and, you know, the individual has the opportunity to be reconciled to God because of that and we have the opportunity to go out and tell them about it. Right? We have the opportunity to go and, and, and tell them what has been accomplished and, you know, the, the vast majority of people that hear about that have no interest in it, don't, don't care about it, outright reject it, but you received it, right? <laughs> you received it. And uh, the the people who receive it, you know, if you focus on all the people who reject something, that, that can be a very frustrating thing. But your job isn't 
isn't to go out and, and convert the entire world to Christ anyway. Your job is to bring a message from God. And some people are going to receive it, and a lot of people aren't. And, but your job is just to bear the message. All right, let's go, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 5, where we began. And so that, that ministry of reconciliation, again, is making known that reconciliation that God has, has accomplished through Christ. And, and, and to say, like verse 20, it says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. And so, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, you're speaking on the behalf of God. You're speaking on the behalf of Christ. Uh, Paul says, we pray you. The word pray there just means to ask, or, you know, he's, he's, it would be similar to the word beseech. Um, and, and he says, it's, it's as though God did beseech you by us. God is using the believer to beseech, to, to beg the world to be saved. Um, the, you know, when you consider that, that Christ went to the cross and died for all and died for the sins of the world, knowing that the vast majority of the people for whom he died would not enter into any kind of relationship with him. Um, you know, that's, that's where something like the Calvinistic idea that he died only for the elect actually, it actually takes away from, from the love of God and the love of Christ because they say he only died for the ones that he knew were going to believe in him, right? Where the reality is he died for a majority of people that he knew were not going to believe in him. Now where's the, where's the greater love? You know, uh, between those two views. You know, when, when we were, it was when we were enemies that Christ died for us. The other thing about that is, you know, it's sometimes when, you know, in a situation where, where there's been a, some kind of separation in a relationship, if you know you're the wrong one and, and you can, apologize for that. It, that's easier to take that first step, you know, in that reconciliation than when you know you're the right one. And you've never been as right as what God is. He was the right one, but He reconciled the world to Himself. Think about that. And, and He's more holy, you know, His sense of justice is much greater than yours is, much greater than mine is. And yet, he was willing to reconcile this wicked world to himself and rebellious world to himself and then says, okay, I've taken the first step. Now you be reconciled to me. And, and the opportunity that we have to, to play a part in that, to be those ambassadors, to be that mouthpiece for God that we can, we can, uh, be, be used of God to beseech people and to, to pray in Christ's stead, to, to ask people in Christ's stead. Christ isn't here physically present. He's not going to appear to somebody and say, be reconciled to God. That's what He has us for. And uh, what, a, what a great opportunity that we have, but what an important responsibility that we have. That we've been committed with a message, and we better get that message straight 
we better know what the real message is so that we can we can be effective ambassadors and accurately represent the the position of our heavenly king um, you know we better we better be certain about that uh that we are are per- performing those diplomatic duties in the right way okay because we represent the king of the universe uh, who's made this reconciliation and, and has a message for us to share. That's a good place for us to close. Uh, let's just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the commission that you've granted to us. We pray that we would be diligent about these things, about, uh, again, about understanding what, what the right message is and then about sharing it with others. And uh, we know that the, the uh, result is up to you that we are we're insufficient in that regard but we trust you to to work in us and work through us and work through your word and uh, to bring people to yourself we thank you in jesus name amen hi i'm richard church the teacher here on verse by verse I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. And our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.